older cousins were in jail and stuff, and so I was like, oh, you know, if these guys can do it, I can. If they can put up with Bankshire or jail, you know, I'm the exact same. Kai and Yan, Desi, Desi Farrell. I'm Desi, and this is my story. Culturally secure diversion programs are a critical part of reducing the number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people in detention. However, often not prioritised as part of border funding for juvenile justice. Australian colonial policies created a stolen generation of Aboriginal children taken from loving parents to breed out the black. This left many traumatised and this trauma can be passed down intergenerationally. Over 50% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in WA are direct victims or descendants of the Stolen Generation, policies which were only repealed in 1969. Culturally-based programs are especially relevant because healing from intergenerational trauma and reconnecting to a sense of belonging and identity is key to resolving these underlying causes of offending. So I grew up out in Inaloo. There was a huge backyard at the back, so we had a lot of time out there playing footy, running around, bouncing off the trampolines. My mum and dad, they would basically drink 24-7. Me and my older brother would just be over at our cousin's house, sitting back, trying to play the game while you know, parents were drinking and that. My second oldest brother, Stephen, me and him were really close. He actually got pretty heavy on the alcohol and the drugs, so... um. That's when I sort of seen like, oh man, you know, this is going to be a problem because it's sort of passed down from, you know, parents and older family members to him. We we were pretty close, me and my mum. There was one time she took me to the primary school and I was just like driving her insane. And then something in my head just popped up and I was like, this woman does everything for me, like... <laughs> She takes me to school, she, she's like struggling herself and I just started crying for some reason, like <laughs> I was seven I think, I was like, oh she does so much things for me, you know, even though she's got her own struggles in her life, like she's always there for me and the kids. Something I'll, I'll always remember when um, Department of Child Protection took us into foster care. So me and my brother got home from school and we seen two white cars at the front of my grandmother's house and they basically said come with us we'll you know take you to the city to this office we sat down had a little meeting and I remember um, one of them saying oh your nan's getting too old she can't look after you so we're gonna have to put you into foster care and that's that's when I started crying and my older brother was there Stephen who actually held me and said everything was going to be all right. So we're taken out to Armadale to a carer, an old Indigenous lady who looked after me and my older brother. My old split up with my older brother and my two younger sisters were split up. So my older brother was smoking dope with my older cousins at the time and, you know, they would always um, sell it as well. So I guess that was nat uh, natural to me. Always seen them in the laundry smoking dope. So at a young age, I was oh these you know these guys are cool. You know they they'd always go out. Always used to bring back phones, wallets, shoes. Um, you know anything. Um, so I was oh you know they, these guys are cool. This is this is what I want to be like. You know grow up like them. You know being going into jail and stuff. I started getting into crime when I was maybe 
seven. I remember my older cousin giving me a spray can because they had a uh, a little gang in the hood, uh, which was called NST, and it stands for Northside Thugs. So all the older cousins were a part of it. They were like the leaders, and um, you know that's who I looked up to. So they just gave me a can, me and my other cousin and my second older brother. And we would just go everywhere, tagging NST, NST. And we're like, oh, this is cool, man. Holy crap, like, this is something that's going to go big. And this is what we want to be. Well, I first started breaking into cars and houses when I was 13, maybe. 13, yeah. So me and my cousin, I remember walking around the hoods of Doubleview and Scarborough and, you know, breaking into cars, trying to get some money. He actually, I remember him picking up a rock and he told me, Des, come over here. So I, so I walked to him and he said, look in the car. And I see this wallet in there were like $50 notes. So it must have been like five, six hundred, seven hundred bucks. And he ended up breaking it and grabbing the wallet. And then all I remember is just running, like running for our lives. Like it was, it was adrenaline, basically. The adrenaline was just crazy, man. Just smashing that window and just running like you're getting chased from someone. <laughs> that's, that's the intense, intense, very, very intense. It, it feels good, to be honest, because... You know, we were only 12, 13, 14 and, you know, not having any money at the time. So that was six, 700 bucks that we could easily spend on, you know, food, you know, whatever clothes, shoes, whatever we needed. I wasn't scared because I guess just growing up, I've, I've had much worse experience. People don't realize how easy it is just to do something wrong. Like coming from a background like mine, you know, I could easily just switch like, you know, this is not how I want to live. Like, I want to live like a criminal. My older brother was 15, 16 when he was in Lake Jasper down in Busserton because he was, you know, using drugs, doing crime. Just seeing the older brothers do it, I was like, you know, if these guys can do it, I can. If they can put up with Bankshire or Jail, you know, I'm the exact same. So in in year 10, in year 10, I had a guy named Dennis Simmons. He came to my school, spoke at our assembly and played the didgeridoo. And it hooked me because I've, I've never seen anyone play the didgeridoo in my life. And then, you know, we, I walk, I walk over to him and I, I was obviously shy and shame and I was like shaking. And he said, he said to me, what's your name? I said, oh, De Desi Farrell. And he's like, are you young, young Desi Jr.? And I said, yeah. So your old man's Desi Senior. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's my dad. And he's like, I'm your cousin, you know that? So he, yeah, he took me, he took me and the other boys under our wings and spoke to us about walking into two worlds, the Western society and living in, you know, traditional country. And I, I had no one teach me about cultural things growing up. It was always, you know, just alcohol and drugs and, he just has like knowledge and the way he speaks to us is just so like, oh, it's crazy. When he speaks, you obviously have to listen because he's an elder. Like you can't be disrespectful. You know, he's been down that same path that we have, you know, drinking alcohol, taking drugs, going out, you know, doing the crime. He's been in jail himself. I guess it all changed up with him. Said to me like, you know, alcohol was the reason why I was, why I was in foster care. That sort of changed my view of, you know, who I wanted to be make sure my kids were safe, you know, had a stable home and sort of things. What he said just changed changed everything. He took us to a lot of dances where he told us, you know, about the ochre, which is the willigi we put on the paint, and the julep that we use for the dances and the didgeridoo sounds and the 
the didgeridoo itself and the boomerangs of collies. He just said to us, like, we're the next generation. You know, we've got to stick to it. The first time I learned to dance, I was very shy. I I remember performing it in front of, front of girls, and that was just something that I did not want to do. He told us boys, come on, boys, this is, this is the fear barrier that you're facing. There's going to be opportunities in life where, you know, you're going to have to face these barriers. And if you don't face the barriers, then you're walking backwards you know if you face the fear and you take you know, take a step forward to do it you know you're going forwards in life we were doing like interactive performances at schools different events sorry day nadoc week it, it it is good to know your culture your identity because it's it changed who i am so i could have easily you know been in banksy as a kid to being in prison now if it wasn't for culture so we would do the spirit dance which is the wearing yumbi so wearing meaning spirit and nyambi or meta meaning dance. And that dance we did before any other dance because it would always like cleanse the bad spirits and bring in the good spirits, so the good energy. Um, the next dance we would do is the waich, which is the emu, and the yonga, which is the kangaroo, and the nyambi, which is a celebration dance. So that last dance, all of us boys were excited to do because that was a celebration dance and the best dancer would always, you know, catch a girl's eye. <laughs> so we were, you know... <laughs> Trying our best. Uh, the role I'm in now is my old high school at Lockridge Senior High School. I actually played the didgeridoo at the assembly. The next day, I get a phone call from the associate principal. She rings up and says, hey, Des, how are you? Look, I'm just wondering, are you interested in working at the school just as an AIEO? So I'm an Aboriginal Indigenous officer. Uh, all the Indigenous kids, mainly male students, as you know, most of them don't have a, a male role model. So I, you know, teach them cultural stuff, playing a lot of the didgeridoo and just general life, I suppose. I can relate to most of, most of them. You know, they grew up similar things, like foster carers, alcohol abuse, drug abuse. Some of the kids are going down the path that I was going down. So I'm hoping culture can do the exact same thing, what they did for me to, to them. You know, if it wasn't for Dennis meeting us and teaching us cultural and dance and um, just general life, you know, I wouldn't, I guess, I don't know where I'd be, to be honest. I'm out of jail. I'm not doing anything stupid. I'm, you know, I'm here. We need to fund and support Aboriginal community-controlled organisations to deliver culturally appropriate, place-based, Aboriginal-designed and led prevention and diversion programs that specifically address the unique needs of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children at risk. Many of these programs have found considerable success across Australia in providing a cost-effective way to successfully divert Aboriginal young people away from the justice system. The Yearman Project is just one such example of this. Run by the Kimberley Aboriginal Law and Culture Centre in Fitzroy Crossing, the project takes young people at risk of offending on country and supports them to undertake culturally-based activities. It has demonstrated evidence in both improving the health outcomes of Aboriginal young people with FASD as well as helping to prevent criminalisation and detention. Stories from the Inside is brought to you by Social Reinvestments WA, a coalition of Western Australia organisations trying to build a better justice system. The podcast is produced by Elsa Silverstone. Sophie Stewart is an executive producer. Music by Ned Beckley from the Equate Studio. To help spread the message, subscribe to podcasts and share it with your friends. 
For more information or to get involved in the campaign, head to socialreinvestment.wa.org.au. Denicle and Meyer, Budawan. I am going to home. See you soon.